Santon Time Studios in Africa's richest square mile. This is the Santon Times Podcast with your host, Alexander. Welcome to another week of the Santon Times Podcast. Uh, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, thank you for making the time to uh, make this part of your weekly listening. Another busy week and another interesting uh, episode lined up for you. So uh, thanks for taking the time to uh, switch it on, download it, stream it, however you consume it, it's all good. As always, if you want to get in touch with this podcast, you can email editor at santantimes.ca.za. You can also connect with us on social media at santantimes. And uh, thrilled to have hit the 11,500 follower mark on Instagram, uh, which is not huge, but it's still significant. So thank you to all of those who have been following us on Instagram, and then also all of those who follow us on Twitter. Uh, I think we're on just over 24,000 there. And then also a lot of people been visiting the website this week, which is really exciting, uh, really coming into its own, really maturing. I think it's only been a month now that the new site has been up and running. So if you haven't been there, www.santantimes.co.za. And as always, you can subscribe, share, and leave a review or rating of this podcast. And I encourage you to do that. So whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, do take some time to subscribe, share, and leave a review or rating. It makes a big difference in our life. It'll make a big difference in your life in the long run. Welcome to all our listeners in Greater Santon and beyond, including Zambia, uh, the United States, uh, yet from all over the world, actually. France, Ireland, UAE, uh, the UK, Mauritius, uh, India. I mean, people download this podcast in the most weird and wonderful places, which is really great. I mean, it's not just about Santon. We talk about a whole bunch of other things as well. Uh, if you're South African and you live in some of these countries, share it. Uh, listen to it regularly. We talk about some very South African things, but we also talk about some really just generally interesting things on this podcast. So don't be fooled by the name. It's a starting point, but it's not the end. We are settling into our new address at Black Brick in Santon, which is super exciting. So we've uh, gotten ourselves a, an address now after just over a year of uh, not actually being anywhere. It's really been sort of uh, working on the run as a lot of people have been uh, sitting at home and working or working from coffee shops. So we finally got ourselves uh, an address now and have sort of a, a semi-permanent office uh, that we can operate from in the heart of Santon. And there's uh, some exciting stuff coming up there as well. There's uh, the electric Mini Coopers that are launching, I think it's this week, into June, which is going to be super exciting, which is part of the sort of carpool that Black Brick has. No more driving around with fuel-powered cars, no, electric cars driving around Santon. And uh, we'll, we'll also put something up on the website. I think there's already a story on the electric cars on Santon, but we'll, we'll provide you some more information as that starts rolling out. And uh, we've got a great competition on the website as well. So if you haven't uh, checked that out yet, make a plan to go have a look at it. It's with Bombay Sapphire. You can win yourself a home-tainment kit. It is a bottle of gin and it comes with some glasses and it comes with some goodies that you can uh, basically sort of run your own cocktail bar at home. If you're a big gin drinker, you want to have to try that out. So make sure you go onto the website for more details. Uh, it runs till the end of uh, May, which is this month. So enter sooner rather than later. Don't leave it too long. Uh, and you could walk away with a Bombay Sapphire hometainment uh, box or kit. And on that note, actually, I just want to congratulate two of our previous winners. We had a great competition where you could win a Tasha's Vouch and a copy of Tasha's Inspired Cookbook, which is 
valued at 1,700 rand. So congrats to Nicolette on winning that. And then Makaira, she won the special Mother's Day experience at the Maslow Hotel in Santon. So congrats to you and well done for entering. If you don't enter, you can't win. Coming up on this week's episode, many of us have been taking a closer look at our investments and specifically our retirement annuity. We chat to a leading financial consumer journalist about this. Then he's packed up everything and is living a digital nomadic life, taking it month to month in a different town. We catch up with him to find out how he did it and how it's going. And finally, you have a chance at 100,000 Rand to kickstart your creative career. Keep listening for all the details coming up in this episode. But first, it's time for your news to go. Operation Okai Mlao heads to Santon, which is roughly translated into Where is the Law? Uh, the National Initiative to Stamp the Authority of the State and Deal with Acts of Lawlessness headed to our neighborhood this week uh, with a series of deployments taking place in and around Santon. One of those was a major joint roadblock in Baklu involving JMPD Provincial Traffic Police, SAPS, Santon CPF and private sector security. I briefly spoke to Gauteng Provincial Commissioner Lieutenant General Elias Mawela about this week's focus on Santon. We have identified that Santon is one of the biggest contributors of the trio crime. House robberies, business robberies and hijackings. It's a problem in this particular space. And also the property-related crimes, theft of motor vehicles, burglaries in, in private spaces and also in business. It's an issue. But we have also linked Santen with Alexander and Sandringham. We have seen that, you know, these criminals, they are operating in these three areas. So we decided to can come here and try to strengthen the hand of the station commander, also encourage the social partners. He's having a lot of partners here, security companies, so that, you know, they must work in a coordinated manner, shared vision, and know exactly what is that which they are dealing with. If they work together, they can uh, definitely kill the crime levels here. I'm not happy with the performance of this uh, station for the past quarter. It didn't do well. All those crime categories, they were extremely high. Santen, it's supposed to be the ambassador of the police force in Gauteng. If we convince everybody, the business community and so forth, we'll attract investors into this space. But if certain crime is high, it will make the, the investors to can think twice before they can invest. Mm. So surely here we need to show them what are we capable of as the law enforcement agencies of this country. And we need to showcase our capability in Santen. So that is why we also focus so much in this space. The results of this week's Santon operation will be up on the Santon Times website in due course. Because people have got to know. On that note, beware of Buklu Interchange, warns Santon SAPS. A rise in vehicle hijackings at the Buklu Interchange has Santon Police concerned and has triggered a notice to the community to stay vigilant. The Santon SAPS is urging motorists to take safety precautions when they are driving in this area and we've got a full article up on the santontimes.co.za. Then the 2021 Daytona rally kicked off in Santon this week. South Africa's most power-filled rally moves into top gear this week as the Daytona rally takes to the most beautiful roads in the country from now until the 20. 
25th of May. Every car enthusiast's dream of driving a supercar along South Africa, mixed with hill climbs, high-speed sprints, street circuits, and night races will become a reality this week as supercar owners participating in the Daytona Rally make their way along the garden route. Supercar fans were treated to a display of a large portion of the vehicles taking part in the rally, including a Lamborghini Aventador S Roadster, a Ferrari 488, a McLaren Senna, and Porsche GT3 RS. Noro's Arch and Daytona hosted the first Supercar Sunday in the precinct to bid farewell to the vehicles before they headed down to Abeja, Port Elizabeth, in anticipation for the big start. Uh, we've put some of the photos up on the Santon Times website if you'd like to have a quick squiz. And then finally, Discovery Health officials say a glitch on the electronic system at the Santon vaccine site has been resolved. According to Jacaranda FM, the Discovery Place site experienced a scheduling glitch leading to bookings not being allocated for the COVID vaccine jabs. To avoid a day without vaccinations at the site, the site was opened to limited walk-ins for people over 70 years of age. That's your news to go for this week. As always, check in on www.santantimes.ca.za for these and other stories on a daily basis. From Santin to the world, this is the Santin Times Podcast. So it's been interesting times, especially I think for people's finances. I mean, with businesses kind of struggling and uh, people losing jobs, having to find new things to do. We're all looking at our personal finances. And I've had a personal experiences where I've had to start also reviewing my finances as well. And one of the things you start looking at is your investments. Where have I put my money? Where have I invested it? What is the stock market doing? What is cryptocurrency doing? You know, what is property doing? And uh, one of those things that we're all sort of bound to, especially if you've had a corporate job if you've been part of a big organization, is that at some point you've made some sort of contribution to a retirement annuity. And I've had an interesting experience with that where when you start moving businesses or moving companies, other companies use different uh, providers to deal with that retirement annuity. And you start looking at the paperwork around it. And even when I was still in a in a big organization, I looked at some of the paperwork that was sent to me by some of the big reputable uh, retirement annuity providers. And I was thinking, gosh, like what are they actually doing with this money? How are they investing it? Look at the returns, the fees they were charging. And I thought, no, hang on a second. Like, you know, this whole thing feels a little bit outdated and it feels like there should be a new way of doing things. And I thought, well, this might be an interesting topic to talk about. Let me get someone online who actually understands the space, who spends a lot of time in the space. And it's Maya Fisher French. She's a financial consumer journalist, also known uh, by her trademark name, Maya on Money. And uh, Maya, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, Maya, let's talk about this thing, retirement annuity. Is this a bit of a dinosaur or is there still hope for something like this? Well, we answer it by saying I have a retirement annuity. So if I have a retirement annuity, there's obviously, in my, my opinion, there's still a place for it. And I think they, 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 there's two arguments, and they're different arguments. So one is, where does a retirement annuity fit within your, your investment world and your retirement planning? That's one question. The other one, and that is the one that I think is creating all the trouble, is what product do I... So I, I accept that a retirement annuity is, is the right vehicle for me, but which retirement annuity? And the cost difference between one retirement annuity and another can be so significant. And I think that's exactly the point you're making. And, I, and this is sort of a drive that I've, I've been on uh, for a while, but this, I wrote an article this, this year really trying to unpack this and trying to understand how one company's you know, fees are, are 
costing somebody 4% a year and, and, you know, and yet you can actually get a retirement annuity for 1% a year, you know, fees. So, so I think it's very, very important that you differentiate those two. You don't throw the baby out of the bathwater and say, these are expensive products, I'm not doing it. It's more about how, which product you actually select, which retirement annuity you actually select. Yeah, I mean, apart from the costing itself, it, it, you know, I think a lot of where a lot of people get very caught up and maybe a little bit confused and a little bit frustrated is that these things are constantly changing. And often, when you're dealing with maybe a broker where somebody's helping you sort of put this together and kind of invest your money, you know, the moment the broker moves or there's changes in things, you know, they you know, you you kind of then sort of pulled along on this bandwagon. And obviously, the final decision is with you, and you have a choice as to how you want to do it. But you know, people are moving from from old mutual to discovery, from discovery to liberty, et cetera, et cetera. And they're sort of on this sort of carousel sometimes, depending if they're changing organizations or changing brokers. And in the whole process, you know, you, you find that you're, you're kind of all over the place. Completely. And, uh, you know, you, you feel like you're just a commodity, really, um, by the time you're finished. And so for me, it actually starts with finding a good financial planner. And I, I use the word financial planner specifically here. Somebody who has committed to this as their career, they have a business, they work for a company, um, but they, I do prefer predominantly fee-based advisors. So these are people who will charge for their time. Like you would for an accountant or a lawyer, uh, for an expert, they actually say, my time is worth this. I will, this is what I will deliver for my time. And then um, from there, you can start having discussions about what investments work for you. For me, the minute that the, the, what they earn is linked ex- completely and actually to what they sell you, you're going to have a conflict of interest. And, you know, I have seen behavior. And let me, let me take a step back and say I know some extremely good financial planners. So I am very pro-financial advice. I think I use a financial advisor. I think you have a good relationship with a financial advisor. They add a huge amount of value. That said, there are some not very good financial advisors out there as well. And that is where we get a lot of the negativity um, in the industry. And these are people who it is just about turning the book. It's about selling you an RA and then finding out that they, they can get a better deal at another company and then move to that company and then they resell you another RA because that shows as another sale. And you've got to be very careful um, of that kind, those kind of practices. So I think it really does start off with, with finding somebody who you feel has your best interest at heart and um, is going to create a financial plan for you that makes sense for you and not just for whether or not they can afford to pay their mortgage that month. Mm. Well, look, I mean, I think up until a year ago, most people kind of signed up to the company RA or whatever the plan was and uh, they made their contribution because mostly, the, you know, some companies also contribute to it as well. And most people forget about it and when they turn 55 or 56 or whatever it is, they, they kind of then cash it out and, and hopefully walk away with something, you know, even if it's not a huge amount and uh, they're not buying a Ferrari or anything, but, you know, it might be some sort of contribution that they've made. Uh, and as of a year ago, suddenly people realized, hang on a second, I've got this... Uh, money that I've been contributing to something. Uh, they might have lost their job. They might have lost their business. They might have been in some sort of financial crisis due to the lockdown and to the pandemic. And suddenly a lot of people were rushing to these institutions trying to unlock whatever money was sitting somewhere. And for a lot of people, it wasn't accessible. And maybe that was the catalyst to start rethinking as to what have they been investing and mm. where have they been investing it. Such a key point. Such a key point. Um, you know, for a lot of people there, and, and this has really started a huge debate about what, how should people be saving and investing. So your retirement annuity in this specific situation is only available at 55. And there are good reasons for that. And that is that people get to 55 underfunded for retirement. We see that all the time. 
So the government has said, we will give you this tax break on your salary, but with that comes a restriction, and that restriction is you cannot access the money till you're 55. However, if you work for a company and the company has a pension fund and you, you resign or you lose your job, you're actually able to access it. So that always feels a little unfair for people. So, you know, they're saying, well, my reti- I can't take my retirement annuity, but I can access my uh, company pe- uh, pension or provident fund. So I think that has also created a lot of confusion um, in the market. And I, I think what I do know for a fact is that National Treasury is looking, and, but there are so many examples of this globally, of how one can create um, long-term investing but then have pockets of access to say, well, I can access these funds in the case of an emergency. The problem is, the National Treasury is really taking forever to bring out any legislation around this. Um, you know, they just, I suppose it is extremely challenging for them. They have to bring in all the different partners, including the unions and government and the private sector. Um, so we're not likely to see any move on that soon. But I do think that when it comes, it again, it's about creating a plan. And I think you know, people tend to look at things as, oh, I've got a time duty. But w- where does that fit in? What, where, what is it? What about all the other parts of your finances? And I, it really comes down to saying, right, I have different pockets. I have an emergency fund that is flexible and accessible in the case of, of, of an emergency. I have a tax-free savings account, and then I have my retirement um, benefits because you want to have all of those as moving parts. Your emergency fund, if you have something crisis you want to access. What's great, with it, for example, the tax-free savings account is that although it is for the long term, you can access it at any time. And again, it can be used very nicely to enhance your retirement but without those restrictions. And then you, you have your retirement um, funds, which you say, I will not touch as much as I humanly possibly do not want to try and touch those until I reach retirement. So I think it's also about the lack of planning, the holistic planning that has led a lot of people into the situation. But I must just add one comment. That the biggest complaint, funny enough, that I received was from people contributing to their life cover. So people have been contributing. One woman said, Maya, for the last 25 years, I've been putting money into my life cover. I can't um, continue those payments right now because my business has gone under and it's going to lapse. I'm going to lose all of that, those years of contributions. I would have been so much better off if I'd been investing that money, for example, in a retirement fund. So that was funny enough where I got the most complaints um, and, and people feeling that, you know, that the companies needed to do more to keep those, that cover in place during a uh, difficult that's a very interesting observation. That and I actually never thought about that, but that is uh, that is a very valid point. And I mean, at the end of the day, Maya, I mean, a lot of the stuff is actually just forced savings. I mean, it's sort of almost putting some sort of uh, ring fence around certain pockets of money to make sure that you know your temptation to spend it on a new TV or a new car or whatever is sort of a little bit more difficult. Uh, because it's sort of kept in an organization or in some sort of structure that it makes it a little bit harder to get access to it. And really, if if uh, like this lady who was paying this money for the last however many years and suddenly realized, hang on a second, if I'd just taken that thousand rand a month and put it into some sort of, you know, seven day notice account and been as disciplined as not to touch it for however many years, she might have actually maybe ended up with a good stash of money that she could have used in an emergency rather than having lost it to one of the big organizations. Yeah, so I think, and, and this is really, again, sitting with a, with a financial plan and saying, how do all of these pieces come together? And, you know, these are very important questions to ask. And I, and I think also what it's doing is it is throwing the, the ball back into the court of the, of the providers because that is one of the big things I said to them. I said, what are you doing for these people? These people have been your loyal customers for 
25 years um, who can no longer continue to pay this um, this premium and they're going to lose all their cover. You cannot, you've got to start thinking about this. And I, I suppose in some sense, you know, you've got to be a first industry as well. This was an unprecedented event. Um, but it does, I think, highlight the volatility out there, um, especially for self-employed people. And this, for me, the self-employed person is another one that you really, really um, saw struggling in this at, during this period. Because often you worked for a company, even if they had to cut your salary, you still kind of covered your insurances. You may have had a pension with them. You may have had life cover. You had all these things. But as a self-employed person, the first, you know, you can't meet those those payments. Um, and and what does that mean? And can we be developing products? that are a lot more flexible for self-employed. So I think for me, this was a really good shakeup um, for the industry to start relooking its products and saying, how do we make the product adaptable for a far more uncertain future? Because let's be honest, that is the reality. We are entering and we will continue to be in, in an increasingly uncertain environment. Has the industry managed to cope uh, during this time uh, with, uh, I suppose, an unprecedented demand of people wanting to restructure, rearrange, uh, access some of this money, and also the fact that a lot of these companies have had to send people home and they're now working from kitchen tables and bar stools and wherever else, having to deal with people's very complex personal finance issues? I, I have to tell you, I think they've done an incredible job. Um, from that perspective, you know, imagine, I mean, the banks literally overnight had to, I mean, they have 40,000 staff. Uh, one bank will have 40, 40 50,000 people working for them. And overnight, they had to, to keep those people, you know, working and you accessing your bank accounts, accessing your life cover. And of course, the financial industry was the one that was in the most demand in terms of services because people needed to, I can't pay my mortgage. What can I do? Um, you know, I need to access my uh, retrenchment cover or all of these things that, that came into play. So I, I, I should take my hands off to them. I think I didn't come across really any company that seriously dropped the ball. I think product design came into question, but um, I, I, you know, I think we actually need to give credit to the, the ability of those companies. And I think you need to understand the stress. Can you imagine the stress of working in those environments over <laughs> COVID? You were personally dealing with the fear that everybody else was. And now you had to, you know, manage to transform your, your, your dining room table into your office and keep the, um, you know, and keep your clients happy and keep making sure it's ticked over. And um, I, I do think, by and large, um, the companies actually handle it extremely well. So, Mai, do you sort of predict uh, there being quite a potential sort of shift or rethink as to what a lot of these companies will be providing going forward in terms of retirement annuities or saving plans or like you were saying life insurance in the next couple of years i think absolutely um and you know more and more of them are now looking and i'm even seeing some new product design coming up um around this some, especially the new players you know the new players come into the market and they always shake things up um and then the traditional older companies start saying oh wow we better <laughs> creating and catching up on the product. So I think from that perspective, yes, I think we will start seeing shifts and changes. Um, but also the, the problem is often legislative. So the companies are also bound to specific legislation. And legislation works incredibly slowly. It's like dinosaur stuff. You know, it takes, it takes decades for, for legislation often to catch up with, with the reality. So they would be restricted within that. But I do think that as a consumer, you need to be asking, you know, we do need to care more about our money and we do need to be asking more questions and reading a little bit. So when you have that meeting with a financial advisor or financial planner, you have the right questions in place. 
Um, and, and I really, one of the big things you do need to ask about is fees. And, and when I did this piece that I did earlier this year, and I looked at why some of these products were so expensive, so why one person was paying so much more than another, and actually, commission wasn't the big driver. Um, so everyone thinks, everyone blames the, oh, the advisors are making so much money out of this. One of the big things was, for example, product choice. So you have a retirement annuity, but within that, you get to select um, which funds you want to invest in. And if you, for example, choose a guaranteed fund, you will pay substantially more than if you choose just a normal unit trust underlying. And and those are the conversations that I don't think financial planners are having with their with their clients. So so you know, I had one guy. He you know, at the age of twenty five, he takes out a twenty year or thirty year retirement annuity, and he's invested in a guaranteed fund. Now, you do not need a guaranteed fund over such a long period of time because the markets work for you over long periods of time. Guarantees are great for a five-year sort of investment where you're worried, I'm, I'm only retiring in five years' time, I need to know the money's safe. But over 25, 30 years, it really starts to become one of the most expensive products you could possibly be in. So, you know, then, then the debate is, was this person given bad advice? Or did this person insist on having a guaranteed fund? And I think those are the sort of um, issues that I, I've certainly picked up. So, um, and, and also to the point of, I spoke in the beginning about the type of products. And what we do see is that the insurance-backed products, the insurance-backed RAs tend to be more expensive than, for example, uh, what we call market-related ones that are that you buy that are simply a unit trust or an exchange-traded fund. Um, and they're a lot more flexible. You don't have fixed terms. Um, so generally, as a preference, those are the ones that, that you would want it to be looked at. The minute you, you lock yourself into this long-term policy, um, you know, it has, it has restrictions. Uh, you have to, if you stop paying, you have penalty costs, um, and, and often the fees there do tend to yeah. So that would also be something I would be sitting and asking and saying, do a fee comparison. Tell me which of these products are going to be more uh, cost-effective. But as a final note, one of the things about um, insurance-backed retirement annuities is that if you hold them for the full period, actually the costs are not that different. It's just that they, it's the way the costs work, that they tend to be a lot more expensive earlier on and then become uh, more cost-effective the longer you hold them. So it gets a little bit difficult to do the exact comparisons, but I just think in the world we're living in, I want flexibility. I don't want to be locked into something for 20, 25 years. Um, not to say I, don't want to, I can draw on it, but I can't, but I want to know that if I can't contribute for a few months, or I need to increase or drop my contributions, I'm not going to face some sort of penalty. Well, bringing it full circle with some uh, great takeaways there, Maya Fisher-French, Maya on money. She's a financial consumer journalist. Thank you so much for joining us for this chat on the Santon Times podcast. Wonderful to have joined you. Thank you. This is the Santon Times podcast. Follow us on social media. So many of us have decided to approach life differently uh, as we come out of lockdown, as we're still in lockdown, but I think we just realized that work life is the same, different, uh, and some of us have kind of made more dramatic changes. Others have said, look, I'm never going back to the office ever again. I'm staying at home. I'm going to work from home. And some people have just made really radical adjustments. They've changed industries. They've been forced to change businesses. So it's really just an interesting time where everything is just in the state of flux. And we've had to sort of pick and choose what we like and kind of put it back together again and kind of move forward from there. So I'm thrilled to be joined uh, by Don Packett on the line. He's made some really interesting adjustments. And Don, maybe to kick things off, give us a little bit of context of uh, what your career was like up until this point and uh, what you've been involved with before we move into the future. 
So, um, yeah, sheesh, man. The last last two decades were very much, I suppose in this case, office-bound, very much uh, mostly Johannesburg-bound, which is where uh, the business that I was working with and running at the time called Missing Link, a presentation strategy business, um, was uh, most of the clients were in Joburg. So staying close because, you know, in-person meetings were a thing um, was important. So, yeah. That's that's generally that's a very very short version of of work life was more about uh, location as opposed to what we were doing right and and how's that changed now uh, I mean I don't know if lockdown was really the catalyst for it uh, did this happen before or after the lockdown yeah so very brief version I decided uh, before COVID was a thing to uh, exit the business and uh, sort of go on my own little journey of discovery and see what uh, what my next uh, vocation had in store for me. And that was December 2019. And uh, I was ending up at the end of or finishing up at the end of February. And then uh, lockdown uh, happened, you know, end of March. So I was officially fun employed <laughs> when, when we were all locked up. So so no no revenue coming in, no anything. So it was a that was a bit of an adjustment. Must be honest, it was a bit it was the perfect timing because it actually forced me to reflect and take some time off and and to just uh, plan the next steps. And then a lot of things uh, started happening. I started connecting with a number of uh, different organizations, consulting to a number of people, and then also realizing that to work from home was was a beautiful thing. So we we set up an office. Um, uh, my, both my wife and I had different spaces in the house, and it was perfect. But we also realized working from home uh, and you know walking around Johannesburg wasn't the most fun thing <laughs> that you could do personally. Like we wanted to get more into nature. And then we decided, well, if we're working from home, why don't we make homes somewhere else? So that was the first idea to move, right, into somewhere that was more in nature, mountains, wine farms, we're big wine fans. So that that sort of kicked off this, this journey. Well, I mean, it sounds like you're living the dream. I mean, and a lot of people have probably had these conversations sort of over a glass of wine on a weekend where they've said, listen, you know what, let's actually just like, you know, sell off this uh, house in an estate. Let's go sit in uh, Neisner in wilderness, you know, overlook the ocean, the mountains. And then at some point, probably somebody said, well, then what are we going to do? How are we going to make money? Uh, how are we going to survive? Uh, so, so how did yeah. that practically play out for you? How did you make that all happen? So, so the first the first idea was let's move somewhere else, right? Because that's the standard thing. We have a house now. Let's have a house somewhere else. That's like your 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 the first go to. So we were looking at a few places in in the Western Cape. We had sort of uh, printed out maps, triangulated certain things from international airports to family to uh, this and that. The next thing, and we found some cool places in between, so like the Grayton area. And then I was chatting to someone saying, yo, I want to buy a house in Grayton. We'd been there for one weekend ever, and we thought it was quite nice. So then so then they said to me, well, how do you know you're going to like Grayton? Actually, how do you even know you're going to like small town living? So that was a bit of a bit of an adjustment to go, all right, that's actually a good uh, a good thing. Um, and then uh, my, my wife's folks have got a place just outside Kruger, and we went there uh, for two weeks during uh, just as, as lockdown had opened up to sort of do some maintenance. And um, I was freaking out because I didn't know what the internet was going to be like. I still had to work. It wasn't two weeks holiday. It was two weeks in a different space. And by the, the second morning we were there, we were on the deck overlooking the lake and there's, you know, Nyala and Nimpala walking around having a coffee and a rusk. And we looked at each other. We were like, wow, dude, like we can do this. We can actually work from anywhere. And so the conversation by saying, 
how do you know you're going to love great you know small towns versus hey we can work from anywhere sort of then move this 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 way of thinking to go well maybe we do work from from anywhere um and so that's where the idea was it sort of was born so are you now looking to stay in a permanent place wherever that is in the universe or are you looking to sort of move from town to town or spot to spot as you feel might be necessary and sort of taking your business with you because essentially if you've got a cell phone signal and an internet connection you could be you know sitting in bora bora for all we know yeah exactly and and which is the beautiful thing so so everyone asks us that you know when is this thing going to end um and i always say so this journey is indefinite until further notice and that's really that's that's as clear as, as i can as, as clear as we can be right now because um we're both super super home bodies we we created our home to be perfect for us um uh, and we thought this was going to be quite tough but we've been enjoying it more and more and realizing that the moving from place to place is is just ridiculously exciting you know we've been to places in the cape for example so we're in musenberg at the moment but this is the the sixth place that we've been in in the last uh, 5 months um so we've been to montague and mcgregor and scarborough and uh, grayton stanford uh, Musenberg. Now we're going to Ribia Castile. Uh, we're going to be in Hookville by, by wilderness in, in the next few months. So it's just like, you know, we're exploring all these places, which is actually a lot of fun. It's not a holiday. I can, I can tell you that. Um, you know, so, so we've got this uh, Instagram channel that's called Vagabonds Drink Wine because we do feel like vagabonds, like no home at all. And we love our wine. So we're trying wine farms in new places wherever we go. Um, and the idea for us is let's explore as much as possible. I feel like a month in one place can really, really help you delve deeply and to understand whether you like this place or not, or the good, the bad and ugly of every place. Um, and so, yeah, there's no there's no finite uh, result at the moment, but we're just uh, we're having fun. We're having a lot of fun. Well, I mean, you left a previous existence in Johannesburg. So how are you traveling uh from one place to another, month to month. Did you sell up everything at uh, uh, back home, Johannesburg, yes. and then put everything sort of in a rucksack and that's it? So when you move <laughs> so, at the end of the month, is like the wine glasses, the bottle, and the pajamas, and then you go to the next place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it was a bit of a it was a bit of a trick. We um, we sold the house. The house sold much much faster than what we thought it would, which was scary. We thought we had maybe, you know, all the estate agents were going, oh, lockdown, COVID, it's going to take you six to 12 months to sell. And we had an offer in four days. So um, so that was quite exciting. So we had to pack up a lot faster than what we what we planned. We had to make plans of booking places much faster than we had planned to. Um, but yes, so, so, so long and the short of it is we sold the house. We put all our stuff into storage, which is all of our furniture, all of our art and and boxes and additional clothing um uh, one of the motorbikes and it's all in storage and uh, every now and again we go to the storage um to change things so a few weeks ago we went and put some summer clothes in and, and got some winter clothes because we're obviously heading into winter uh, so so that's where we're keeping our base and we literally have we've got uh, the jeep which has our clothing um all of our laptops and gear uh, we've got we we uh, you know we like outdoors so hiking gear um, and things like that. So the car is pretty um, is pretty packed. We've got a little pantry with our favorite spices and whatnots, um, and that's how we're going. We're going with the Jeep and one of the Vespers from from place to place. And again, as we as we need to change things, or we realize we don't need this stuff. So I've given away so many T-shirts to 
um, either domestics of places that we're working at or to the Red Cross. It's just, it's been phenomenal. I haven't needed a lot of stuff. And slowly but surely, we're just sort of getting rid of things. And what is increasing is the uh, boxes of wine that we're buying <laughs> as, we're, as we're traveling from place to place. But uh, uh, Lauren, my wife, her sister, is very, very graciously uh, helping us store the wine at their place. And we're sort of trading as we're going through. <laughs> so tell me, this is... Uh Obviously, a little bit of a hybrid model. Uh, you've got uh, your car that's, like you said, carrying the spices and some of the things. But the places you're staying in, are they sort of Airbnbs or, or are they places that you're sort of finding on the internet that somebody's renting out? Because if you ever look on Airbnb and ever try to find a place, especially in sort of very remote places, there's Airbnb in Cape Town, Johannesburg and Durban. But the moment you start going sort of inland or sort of like very exotic places, it's not as, uh, not as common. So how are you sort of finding places to stay? So um, the places we have been going to have ever actually been very uh, Airbnb friendly. There have been a lot of places uh, available. Um, we've also learned a ton about how to book things on Airbnb. So to answer your first question, yes, mostly has been Airbnb. We've done some booking.com and we've also some, done some direct um, uh, bookings. Uh, Airbnb, just out of interest, monthly stays, I think it's over 28 days, you get uh, a massive reduction in, in, in daily rate, which is then from a monthly rate. So you're winning there. Um, but yeah, we've been we've been learning a lot, and um, if we haven't found what we're looking for in Airbnb, we then we then try and find try and find direct. And most of the places, if you just speak to them, you tell them what kind of journey you're on, and say we're going to be there for a full month, uh, even if it's direct, they give you uh, good rates anyway. I mean, I, I'm not going to give you the amounts, but we have saved a ton on some monthly rentals just because uh, people, you know, at the moment anyway, just want people in there, and it's less cleaning. Uh, you've got one person there for a long time. So from a host perspective, uh, I would imagine, and I feel like that's the energy that I'm getting from the people we're speaking to, is they would prefer to have one uh, couple there for a month than having to keep on turning new people in and out. Lockdown must have been a bit of a blessing in disguise in terms of doing this, because like you mentioned, before we went into lockdown, there was this strange need or desire by clients or by partners that you had to be in a building or a meeting physically, even if it just meant you were sitting there and ticking off some sort of, I don't know, like like a lot of people say, it could have been in an email or in a WhatsApp, you know, eating, yes, you know, exactly. sort of the, the traditional meeting biscuits and the sort of instant coffee. And you thought, my goodness, I've just wasted two hours of my day um, having a meeting that was actually probably completely unnecessary. <laughs> uh, and suddenly <laughs> overnight, it just seemed like the perfect idea to do things over the internet. And people went, why haven't we been doing this for years? So this must have been just completely fortuitous that this all came together at the same time. Oh, yeah. Listen, I mean, I am missing the little strawberry wafers uh, on, on meeting room tables, that's for sure. Um, but uh, it was, had COVID not happened, had this whole work from home thing not happened, I don't think really we would have had the guts to be able to make this um, make this choice, not only because of sort of our, um, uh, I suppose, drive to be able to get our heads around doing this, but also from the other side, right? A lot of people weren't ready for that, as you say. So if someone says, oh, I want to work with you and say, well, I'm not in Johannesburg, we can never meet face to face because I'm basically never going to see you. And um, they were uncomfortable with that. So I feel like they would rather choose and work with people who they could actually see and touch and smell. Um, sometimes not a good thing, but uh, it is what it is. So, 
so 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 that's the that's the idea i feel like it really has helped us um and the rest of the world get more comfortable with what we're doing for sure I mean, some of the places you've mentioned, very special communities. I mean, it's one of the few things I love about uh, doing a road trip in South Africa is that you end up driving through these small towns and villages and you think, my goodness, there's people who live here and they vote and they pay taxes and they're just part of South Africa. And a lot yeah. of these places are also very welcoming, very warm. It's very different to the big city life. Uh, what's your experience been like meeting some of these people and telling them, listen, we're only going to be here for a month and then we're off again. Uh, are they quite receptive? Are they quite like, you know, are they thinking you're on the run? Uh, what's the story there? <laughs> um, I'm not sure if they do think we're on. Potentially, potentially, <laughs> maybe. Um, I do get stopped at a lot of airports, so maybe they do. Um, but for the most part, it's been phenomenal. When we tell people our story, they are very welcoming. It's also, I suppose, for them, it's fleeting. So they don't have to put in, in effort feeling like this is going to be forever. So they can put in a short amount of effort with us. I mean, this is obviously my, my theory. I haven't delved deeply with them. But so many communities have been ridiculously welcoming. I mean, being, uh, you know, a couple of days into uh, 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 staying in a place, you know, people driving past, hooting, hey, Don, hey, Lauren, because we've really had to also put ourselves out there. I'm generally, even though I'm, I'm quite sort of active and I'm, I'm on stage a lot and things like that in my in my sort of how I do what I do, um, I'm generally quite an introverted person, so walking up to someone and starting a conversation is generally not my go-to. Um, but a, a, a guy who's been doing this for a very long time, a guy called John Sinai, uh, I asked him for advice before we went on this journey. And he said to me, one of the many things he said to me was, um, you have to put on your big girl panties and actually walk up and speak to people. You know, you can't just phone a friend and go, hey, do you want to go for a beer around the corner? You have no friends, so you have to make friends. So, dude, I mean, I was much to Lauren's dismay because she was like, oh, here we go again. I would walk up to people in the street and go, hello, do you live here? And whatever they said, whether it was yes or no, I could continue the conversation. If they said yes, I would ask how long and why and tell me about the culture and then tell them my story. Or if they said no, I would say, oh, why are you here? And how long have you been? <laughs> so I would always get sort of some good gen from anyone walking. I mean, we've we've shouted at people and they're sitting on their patios going, hello, how's it? We're just here for a month. Tell me about the place. We're trying to explore. So it's really been opening up ourselves to people. And, and people are really, really receptive in most towns. Some towns, people are just not cool. Um, but then we realize very soon, and some of those we've actually left early because they're like, well, we know we're not going to live here. We're not enjoying this. So it's very easy to decide we're going to decrease this place by a week and let's increase somewhere else by a week or do an interim week between going to our next place. And that's the beauty of the internet. So we've done places and said to owners, listen, we're going to leave early. Um, and then they said, fine. And they paid us the money back. Um, so it's been it's been gold. It's been absolutely gold. So Don, you've obviously been very limited to South Africa at the moment in terms of our travel restrictions and all of that. But if, if the borders had to yeah. open, would you take this to uh, Zanzibar, uh, Costa Rica, wherever? I mean, would you take this anywhere in the world uh, as a concept? 100%. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So so the original idea, we were going to be in Kenya in um, from the middle of June to the end of July. Um, in sort of south of Mombasa, Diani Beach. But unfortunately, that's just because of, you know, South Africa's now bloody red zone. We don't want to take that chance for a number of countries. So we've, we've uh, held back on that, um, on that plan. At the end of the year, if things still go according to plan and we can travel and there's no third wave, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we want to do Southeast Asia, alternatively, maybe South America. 
Um, both of those are pretty welcoming from a um, travel point for now. Um, I suppose more welcoming than America or Europe and and whatever it is. So yeah, dude, um, working is just a time zone thing. So so if we go to say uh, Vietnam or Bali and you work there for a month or two, it's it's not a train smash because then we just adjust our days accordingly. So you're gonna wake up um, uh, later. You're gonna work later. It just you just manage accordingly, and that's fine for us. Well, I remember when just before we went into lockdown, I was watching, uh, I think, one of these organizations that had organized a, a cruise where people could literally set up an office on a cruise ship and you literally would go around the world and you would be answering emails and, and making phone calls or Skype calls, or Zoom calls, and literally running your entire business from a cruise ship. And every odd day you'd end up in a different harbor, be it, you know. Japan, Australia, wherever you want to go. I mean, it's it's it sounds almost ridiculous to our grandparents to be able to do something like that. But I guess that's the way things are yeah. going now, the way we're connected. Yeah. And that's just, it's about priorities, right? So I would imagine when you, when you come into port, uh, you want to go in and see that place, whether you are going, you know, in, in whether it's Asia or Europe. So you just manage your diary accordingly. So you'll say you're not going to work for the first half of that day while you're exploring the town that you're importing. And then you come back and you've got a two o'clock phone call, two o'clock that time, for example. You just you just manage your diary like that. I mean, we have been very um, – so as I said, we're in Musenberg now. I'm just looking out at this little mountain here. And um, a big reason why we are here is to learn to surf because we do, as I say, want to go to Southeast Asia. And we want to surf in Southeast Asia on one of our bucket list items. So – we don't want to have to learn there, you know, to, we, we want to be able to get there and start riding so we can enjoy the waves there. So in Musenberg, we're doing, um, we've gone for lessons, we're staying about 600 meters from Surfer's Corner, um, we're booking gear, we just walk in, hello, a combo set of uh, wetsuit and surfboard, please, for two, we pay our 280 bucks via Zapper, we walk in, we put the gear on, grab a surfboard, and we go surf, and then so we're learning and getting we just get, you know, prioritizing what we're doing in every single place, which has been which has been amazing. Well, Don, it sounds like you're living the dream and you're making it work. It's been fantastic chatting to you on this podcast. It's Don Packett, <laughs> Thanks, uh, man. the man who's given up the, the corporate nightmare, gone into a, a very different type of life, but I think it sounds fantastic. And I look forward to catching up with you again in the near future. I think there's probably some interesting stuff that you're probably going to experience over the next couple of months. And it'd be interesting to see where you end up next. Yeah, I tell you, after six months, uh, we're gonna. We've already done one sort of interim thing, but we after six months, we're gonna do a big review of what we've learned, the do's, the don'ts, the good, bad, ugly. Uh, just because I know a lot of people want to do something like this, but it is quite scary. Um, so yeah, it, it, as much information that we can share with people, uh, we will because it's um, yeah, it's been truly. We've been learning so much about ourselves and the country. Yeah. Don, just give us your Instagram account again. Uh, Vagabonds drink wine. That's all you need to know. Don, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, bud. Online. Mobile. Anywhere. Anytime. This is the Santin Times Podcast. So if you've visited our website at least, uh, recently, you would have noticed uh, there's a great uh, competition that ASUS is hosting for 100,000 Rand. Uh, it's a creative career kickstart, and uh, it's got some formidable judges involved. And uh, if you are in the creative space or if you want to get into something that, uh, you know, burns your creative fire, this could be the kickstart that you're looking for. And uh, to chat to me about this competition and to get a little uh, a little bit more detail is uh, Rob Forbes. He joins me on the line. Rob, uh, good to chat to you. 
Alex, good morning, my friend. Good to chat to you as well. Rob, tell me a little bit more about this competition. Uh, you know, what are the, the inner workings from your side? Well, I mean, Asus is such an iconic brand when it comes to gear and so on to create with. Um, Republic Gamers, which is their gaming brand, uh, provides some of the best equipment to the streaming space and the esports kind of space. And this is a way for the brand to sort of go beyond just the gaming sphere and reach out to all kinds of creators all around the country and just see what kind of talent is out there. So, I mean, we've had incredible, incredible response. We've had amateur filmmakers making short films for us to watch lots of music lots of graphic design lots of fine art stuff people creating clothes and so on um and the thing is technology is needed for all of these design purposes and i mean as you mentioned a hundred thousand rand is the prize that we're giving away to someone to kickstart a career i'm literally trying to build a streaming room at home at the moment and i can't tell you how far a hundred grand would go in the entire process it's a massive massive prize and it is going to change someone's life so i've been really excited to be part of the entire thing. Rob, you and me in terms of 100,000 Rand and building a streaming room, and I think that is technology these days. If you want to get into media, I mean, when I started 20 years ago, you wanted to start a radio station, you wanted to start a TV station, you needed a good 600 million or a, you know 800 million in the bank, can get a, a license from ICASA, and uh, if you get through that sort of 10-year exercise of filling out all that paperwork and trying to get regulatory bodies on board and making all that happen, then eventually one day you might actually start your TV station and your radio station and actually start broadcasting and making some money. Now, from your patio, your back room, your, uh, your your garage, you can speak to the universe through YouTube. You know, 15-year-olds can have more listeners and viewers than the entire multi-choice bouquet put together. A- absolutely that. I mean, the, the, the stats just for streaming alone are, are ridiculous. On Twitch, in the first quarter of this year, there was 6.8 billion hours of video watched. Um, and that's one platform that focuses predominantly on gaming. Um, it's just, it's wild to know that you, you're, you're 100% correct. It's the democratization of the ability to reach audiences and the ability to control your own content. Um, and what makes content creation so exciting is it's such a personal thing for every person who does it. Everyone wants to get different things out of it. Everyone has their own ideas about what's best. Um, and there is no sort of, you know, this is the correct way to do something. Audiences like what they like. And as a result, people can create in ways that might seem entirely unexpected to, as you mentioned, you know, if you go back 20 years, an old school media professional might tell you, you know, this is not the way we broadcast. And yet, if the streaming numbers back it up, and if you're having a good time, and if your audience is having a good time, nothing else really matters. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. And I mean, it really suddenly uh, changes the game completely. And I think we're in this really interesting space, especially if you've been in media for quite some time, where you know, you're seeing this phasing out of the old guard, of the old school companies that have been built on 20 and 30 year old business models that are hanging on by a thread, figuring, trying to figure out how they're going to move from uh, what has been, you know, media for the last, you know, 50 years into what is going to be the new media. And you've suddenly got these new startups, these new emergers, these new players who have got no luggage, no baggage, nothing that they have to hang on to, nothing that they have to comply to. And they are nimble, fast and adapting so fast. They've got TikTok, they've got Skype, they've got YouTube, they've got all these things. And they are... Um, you know, they're like the Muhammad Ali in a boxing ring uh, up against some heavyweights. Yeah, exactly. 
bring this conversation back on track. You're judging this with Sivan Gesi. You're judging this with Shamila Miller. Uh, you guys are sort of, the three of you are going to be looking at uh, what people are submitting through the various channels. What are you going to be looking for? I'm just going to be looking for someone who shares a voice that feels like theirs. I think that's the most important thing. It's been such a wide range. Um, I, I mentioned we've had you know input from every single creative sphere you can think of, and I find it very difficult to decide that you know this form of art appeals to me more than this form of art. So I'm going to be looking um, for people who are presenting themselves in ways that I feel are incredibly authentic. Because at the end of the day, when it comes to this new school of technology and this new school of creating content, um, that's the most important thing. You need to feel like you're expressing your own individuality. So that's what I'm going to be looking for. Um, what Siv and Shamila are going to be looking for, I don't know. We all come from very different sort of media backgrounds. We all come with our own skill sets. Um, so we'll see what they have to say, but the judging is going to be upon us soon. And I'm really looking forward to sitting down and drilling through the finalists with them and finding out what they're looking for as well. What are the closing dates uh, for this competition, uh, Rob? So the closing dates is uh, somewhere within the next week. Um, we will be, you can check the asus.com uh, forward slash ZA website if you want the exact details. The judging is going down at the end of next week. So we are literally into the final stretch at the moment. If you do want to enter, uh, you need to go and upload a video of yourself and your creative talent to either Facebook or Instagram and then hashtag Vivo Talent. It's the name of the competition, V-I-V-O Talent, um, and tag Asus underscore Z-A. They're the ones who are collating all the entries for us that we can go and have a look at. That's brilliant, man. I mean, if, like you said, if I was uh, in the right age group and if I was, uh, you know, sort of the, the, in the right space uh, 20 years ago, I would have said, listen, 100,000 rand, I'm in. Unfortunately, we didn't even have any of this stuff. I mean, Rob, you probably still remember the days before we had Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, and YouTube. And, and if you wanted to get a message yep. out there, you had to <laughs> do something ridiculous. Like print flyers. Yeah, print flyers. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly that. No, it's it's a it's a whole new world, and I love watching it go. Um, you were talking about you know the heavyweights. I will root for an underdog all day long, um, and there is no one as underdog as someone who decides this is a thing I love and that I'm good at and that I'm going to give a go to. So I want nothing more than to give a hundred thousand rand to someone and watch them take it and run with it. I really, really hope that's what's going to happen. It's been such an exciting competition. It's been such a nice thing to be part of. Um, so I'm very grateful for ASUS for bringing us all on board, and the other thing we have done as part of this whole thing, um, all of us as judges, we're not just sitting here looking at other people's stuff, we wanted to give back a little bit as well. So the three of us have each done a string of masterclass videos. Um, so I've done a masterclass in audio presenting and audio editing and how to set up your workflow. Um, there's one video looking at specifically how to do a remix of a song, um, how to break down things that you're listening to. So I've focused a lot on the music and the presenting side of it. Um, and there are five videos up that you can go and watch that'll hopefully give you a couple of tips um, on how to be a better presenter or how to do a remix of a song. Siv has done his on acting and so on. Uh, so there's about 15 videos in total content that we've created to give back as well that's also up to go and have a look at. Brilliant, Rob. I mean, I think that's really good. And, and fine enough now, why are you giving some advice? I mean, you're saying you're busy setting up a, a bit of a streaming studio. So if, if you had to get 100,000 Rand right now, what would be sort of the first things that you'd be investing in? What would you be getting to kind of get the ball rolling? 
Uh, the very first thing I would need, because I specifically want a streaming room off the ground, um, I would have a chat to ASUS and get the, the hardware rig required um, to do so. I need the, the proper desktop PC. I need a second screen so that I can monitor chat and line up uh, things that are not going to be on the live screen. Um, so I need that done. I would set up an OBS system, so a little uh, playback board for OBS, which is the streaming software, which will give you sort of more television-style control over your transitions and things. And then the eternal problem in the world is that we need cameras, and cameras are not cheap. So I think those between those three things, um, a nice new hardware rig from Asus, an OBS uh, casting box controller, and a nice new camera would be on the list. Listen, that sounds uh, like a really, really good selection there. And uh, if you're listening to this and uh, you've been sitting on your hands and you'll be like, look, I have to come up with a concept or I have to, I don't know, do a storyboard for this. Don't don't take forever. Listen, honestly, just go with it. Rather be, you know, in the game than still sitting there two weeks later and going, ah, oh, if only I'd, I'd submitted something. So if you've got something, put it together, submit it, and at least, like, get a ticket to win. So, and... Uh, Rob, I mean, like you said, great opportunity. Thank you so much for jumping onto this call and uh, for giving us another recap on this competition. We've also put all the details up on the sandtontimes.co.za. So if you want to have another proper read through it um, with all the links and all the details, there's no excuse not to enter. Rob Forbes is one of the judges uh, for this uh, creative career kickstart. Uh, and the hashtag is VivoTalent. If you want to check it out on social media, he's doing this with Sivan Gacy and Shamila Miller. They'll all be judging this in the next week. It's been great having you on. Thank you so much. So much rob alex my absolute pleasure thank you for having me connect with the santon times email editor at santontimes.co.za there you have it if you want to get in touch and also don't forget to connect on our social media platforms at Santon Times and uh, visit the blog www.santontimes.co.za. Be sure to subscribe, share and leave a review or rating of this podcast on your favorite platform. And uh, as always, thank you to my guests who've made the time to be on this week's episode. We're halfway through the month. It's getting cold and there's talks of a third wave around the corner. So do stay safe, do stay well and join me again next week. Thank you for listening. And let's connect then.